The Eagles train is moving on from Wen Station to Hertz Village. This is On The Rise Podcast, Season 2. Listen now on all major platforms as well as midtownradio.ca weekends at 10 a.m. Welcome your host, Sam Donzig and Evan Brown. Welcome to episode 36 of the On The Rise Podcast. It's hot out of the oven. The Eagles have benched Carson Wentz in place for Jalen Hurts. So I asked you, Evan, is Jalen Hurts the answer to the Eagles' woe? And can he help scrape together a few wins for the Eagles to help make the playoffs? Listen, the Eagles right now, very dysfunctional franchise. I mean, they don't have a direction. Their head coach potentially, I mean, he should be and uh, is being talked about as possibly going out the door at the end of the season. I don't know what they want to be. I don't think they know what they want to be. And I think that's evident by how they're playing right now. And Carson Wentz, it's time to move on, man. You have to, you have to move on from Wentz at this point. And at this point, I mean, you, I I said it last time we talked about this, you have to give Jalen Hurts a chance and you have to give him those reps. You have to give him a chance to start a game for goodness sakes. Like let the, let the young gun work. And Hey, if he turns out well, if he shines in his first game, then you can ride him for the rest of the game. If you want to go out and make the playoffs, then I think Jalen Hurts is the quarterback you have to do it with. If you want to prepare for the future, I think Jalen Hurts is the quarterback you have to do it with. Carson Wentz at this point to me doesn't make sense. He's been playing terrible all season. And you have to go with Jalen Hurts in my mind. The the young he's the younger option, more potential. Gotta get him some reps in anyhow. So if you if you start winning games with him, great. You can make the playoffs. If not, so what? You're getting him the playoff, uh, not the playoff, the, the game experience that he needs as a young rookie. And you're giving him opportunity to start in professional football games. You're giving him the opportunity to grow, develop. He's getting in proper reps. He's going to be, I don't know if he's going to be the answer necessarily, but he's going to at least be developing for the future. Because at this point, I think that's that's what the Eagles should focus on. They're not going out there and they're not winning the Super Bowl or anything like that with or without Jalen Hurts. And I think that's a fact they're just going to have to accept. And, I mean, somebody's going to have to win that division. You can go out and win it if you want. You can go try to maybe get a playoff win, but you're not getting very far in the playoffs if you do. You're going to be seen throughout the entire thing. I mean, it's 2020. Stranger things have happened. Uh, you could easily – I mean, in this in this day and age, you could go into the playoffs with a losing record and still somehow win potentially. So – you never know. Maybe the Eagles win, super, win the Super Bowl at the end of the year on the back of Jalen Hurts. Maybe he's the next big thing. I have no idea. But I don't see it happening. The Eagles do not have the personnel right now. They do not have the experience. And Carson Wentz is practically pointless to keep using at this point. And I don't know why they keep doing that. If you have a quarterback that throws an average of like two or three interceptions a game, it's probably not a very good quarterback. So I am very willing to switch out uh Jalen Hurts for Carson Wentz upcoming and I think they should do that for the uh for the future I think as well you will see the head coach gone at the end of the year if not sooner I definitely agree with you I think it's time for the Eagles to give Jalen Hurts a chance to see what he can do and get him reps and stuff because I think as a young player you need to get reps in the in in an NFL game and an NFL experience because you can practice all you want and you can you know do training camps as long as you want but if you're not there in an NFL game experience you know running the two minute drill or you know running offenses and reading defenses you know real NFL defense in game situations then you're not going to get the experience to do so I don't think he can maybe he can scrape together a few wins you know looking down that's it's going to be it's going to be tough like you know he might be able to scrap one or two together 
the Giants and the Washington football team are looking a lot better and they're probably going to be the two, either one of them is going to come down with the, uh, for the win of the division and stuff like that. And they played earlier on, I believe I want to say, I think they played earlier on this year. I think the Giants won or not, but regardless, I think that I don't see them winning a few games because like you said as well, the Eagles are a team without identity. Like they're, they're more lost than the Washington football team is. The team without a name is doing better than the Eagles because the Eagles don't really know what they are, who they are, what is their identity? Because once you lose your identity as a team, you lose the purpose to compete. If you are a team that's like, okay, we're going to go out there and we're going to run the ball a lot and we're just going to – like the Titans are a run-first team. They know their identity is Derrick Henry, and that's what they build off. Of. That's what they game plan off. They're like, okay, we're going to use Derrick Henry as our main guy, and then we're going to, like, you know, spice in some Ryan Tannehill, throw into A.J. Brown, throw into, you know, the t- different tight ends. and so That's kind of their game plan. That's how they win games. Um, for Aaron Rodgers, it's like, or for like the Packers and stuff, it's like trusting Aaron Rodgers, you know, the pass game is there with a little bit of run game, you know, teams have their identity and the Eagles don't really know what their identity is with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. They can have a little more run presence. I feel like they can have some more design QB runs. They can have some run pass options, kind of like a Lamar Jackson or a Russell Wilson. And he has the ability to throw the ball well, to throw the ball downfield well. And I think that that could be an option as well. But the Eagles first need to like put Jalen Hurts in for the rest of the season, figure out what their identity going forward as a team is and figure out what we want to do. Um, and, you know, once they figure out their identity going into next season, they're going to feel a lot more confident in winning games because they're not okay we know what our identity is like, you know, teams might not be able to know what your identity is, but if teams can't stop what you are and stuff, if you're a run first team or a pass heavy team, then you're going to win games, which will allow you to excel into the NFL into the playoffs and stuff. And, you know, win playoff games and, you know, go to the Super Bowl. That's kind of my take on that. Already moving on into our second news of the or second news regarding hot out of the oven. The Rockets and the 76ers haven't had meaningful discussions reportedly regarding possibly tr- James Harden being traded from the Rockets to the 76ers. So will he still be moved before the start, start of the season in your mind? I don't think he can at this point. I, I think uh, it's too late. It's going to be it's going to be the start of the season in a few weeks. Actually, it's starting up uh, December 22nd. Uh, and I think at this point, like James Harden, I, I was reported he's moving to camp. Uh, he finally got to camp today uh, after many different reports, seeing him throughout many different areas doing stupid stuff. Who knows if those are real or not? But um, he reported to camp today as of recording this, and he, it sounds like he's going to actually be with the Rockets facility. And I mean, I don't think he can be moved at this point. I mean, based off of everything we've heard, I mean, Russell Westbrook was seen as an immovable piece for a long time. Yes. And then he got traded, but I think that trade worked out for both sides. And at this point, I mean, it was interesting the fact that this was brought up now because I would think James Harden would be happier to stay with the Rockets now that they have John Wall. And I think, I mean, it's just, James Harden is such an interesting player to me because he now has a point guard who reportedly he likes more than Russell Westbrook having uh, John Wall on his team. Who knows if that's true or not or whatever. But um, and he, they, the, the Houston Rockets are trying to make him happier, trying to make him want to keep playing for the Rockets. And for not showing up for the first few days of camp, who knows what that's going on about. And then uh, obviously everything that went on in the offseason between Westbrook requesting a trade, Harden potentially requesting a trade that wasn't a trade, and then whatever. And I just don't think the market's there. They want a significant package for James Harden. No team is willing to give that up right now. Uh, 
Uh, and just especially before the start of the season, it's too close. You're, if you're going to ever move from James Harden, move on from James Harden, you could maybe be lucky at the deadline, but I think it's going to be a matter of figure it out next off season. Cause it's too late at this point. It's too late to trade James Harden. And I think, to be frank with you, no team is going to want James Harden at this point. You heard how, like how you've seen eye test wise and you've heard as many rumors as possible of the kind of player James Harden is off the court uh, with, uh, with interaction with players and with the organization and stuff like that. And I don't think any team is going to want that. And I don't think any team can afford his contract at this point. It's it's, he's just going to be have to stuck with Houston because nothing's going to change at this point. Nothing's, Nothing's going to change. He has an immovable contract. He has an immovable ego. And I don't think any team is willing to take on his contract or and, and also give up the assets for him at the same time. So I think Harden's just going to have to suck it up and stay with the Rockets because, uh, I mean, what is he going to do? Terminate his contract if he doesn't? If they don't, like... Uh, and if he were to, that would, I mean, that would be the most instant free agent frenzy I've ever seen. But, like... It doesn't make sense to me for Harden to get traded at this point. So, but like, no matter what, if there were to be like an ideal trade for James Harden, it would have to be a major package. But even I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. No matter, even if you were to give up Oklahoma City's ev like ninety percent of all of their first round picks over the next seven years, I still don't know if that would be enough for the Rockets to get James uh, to move James Harden at this point. So, to me, it's just not happening. Yeah, I would fully agree with you. I think at this point in the season, like obviously preseason is starting in a few days as of the recording. It's like December 11th is the start of preseason, which the Rockets are playing. And then, of course, the start of the regular season is going to be in a few weeks on December 22nd. So I just think yeah, I think it's, it's not at the right time. I mean, even at the deadline, if there was a time, I don't think James James Harden is that type of player that a lot of teams, like you said as well, don't want. He's got a lot of baggage onto him, you know. And I think if you bring that player onto your team and you don't know what he's going to be like, like, and as well, I think Daryl Moore reportedly has said that he doesn't really want to trade away, you know, two of his young stars and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid um, to the Rockets. And that would make sense and stuff because, okay, let's say you trade away one of them. Let's say you trade away Ben Simmons, you bring in James Harden with Joel Embiid. How is that going to work chemistry based between two, again, hothead guys who, you know, are very straight, like personalities, I say not like a type A personality, but very, they're very person. They're very um, extroverted. You know, they're very personal. They want to, you know, they speak their mind. Expressive, and they're very, I think. Yeah, they're very expressive there. Yeah, the, the word I'm looking for. They're very expressive towards, you know, the players that they play with and their teammates and stuff. So I think it'd be hard. I don't like, again, if it was an ideal trade to happen, definitely some first round picks and a major, major player would be in there for um, a different team. Because again, what player really needs and what really, pl what player really wants James Harden? Because if you look at the players, if you look at the teams across the league, most teams have a, a starting point guard for their future or a starting point guard they have, you know, uh, like a, many teams do. When you look at the Toronto Raptors, you know, they've got Fred Van Vliet. They got Norman Powell. They got an aging Kyle Lowry, but, you know, they still good. You look at a guy, you got, look at uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. They just got Drew Holiday. You look at, um, where did Chris, Chris Paul went to the Suns with Devin Booker. So it's like many teams already have a point, like a, a shooting guard and a point guard kind of as their lead. So, yeah, you know, like you 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 could trade your point guard and shooting guard for like you know like with the Westbrook and uh, John Wall deal, but then what does that really do? Because what benefit? Like if 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 they're, if they're worth the same value, then what benefit are you really getting out of it? Like yeah, you're getting rid of a toxic player in your organization. That would be great. And I think Houston wants to make a deal because if they can bring in someone that can work well with John Wall, that's not going to be 
as expressive and, you know, be able to kind of like a guy like Bradley Beal, you know, who was able to really excel with uh, John Wall or someone who's able to do that. And I think if they were, if they were to make a deal like that happen, then I think a lot of people in Houston would be happy because, you know, in as well, like, and I don't know how Houston fans feel about James Harden, but if I was a Houston fan feeling about looking at James Harden, I wouldn't like him very much because, you know, he puts up a lot of shots. He, yeah. He scores a lot of points, but they don't win a lot of games and they don't win a lot of playoff series, which is what you want to start players, you know, to be able to perform under the, uh, the spotlight and stuff. Well, I think as well, like, like you said, to the point of the fact that a lot of teams have those positions filled up, if you don't have a top tier guard in this league, then you are not playing to the current meta of NBA basketball right now. It is a guard dominant league. And I can't think, like like you said, I don't think I can name a team that doesn't have a point guard that is a star right now or a future star in potential. Cause like, even you look at like the Knicks, they have RJ Barrett. If you look at the Hornets now, they have LaMelo ball that every team Every team has guards that are built for the future. And I think the only, I can't even think of a team. And I know the Warriors were linked uh, to the uh, to potentially trying to get James Harden. I think the, I mean, it's already been con- confirmed pretty much that those talks are dead in the water. There was no way that was ever going to happen. I mean, to me, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go at this point. You could try a John Wall type of deal, but like, I think to, to be honest, it's kind of funny. The only team I could really see, maybe even trying that which would be ironic as all anything theoretically the wizards could try to put something together with a bradley beal just just as a thought they could try to do something and then just the irony of the fact that westbrook and harden and bradley beal and john wall would be reunited that would be kind of funny to me but i mean that's the only team i could really see doing anything at this point um or, or else, like, they'd be losing. Like, the Rockets are going to lose a James Harden trade no matter what because they are losing James Harden. Um, but I don't see any team biting on him at this point. I don't see any potential even close packages that a team could offer at this point. Like, to me, I think it's just going to have to come down to the Rockets are just going to have to live with James Harden's contract until uh, until it runs out. And James Harden himself is just going to have to live with the fact that he's a Houston Rocket. He signed this deal. He's locked in with this team. He's getting paid the big dollars. He's got to figure out a way to win. He's got to figure out how to put his personality and ego aside. He's got to figure out how to work with John Wall. And who knows, this might be a scary combo come season time. Uh, if John if John Wall is healthy, we have no idea. But I think at this point, James Harden is a major question mark going into the Rockets season. And to be honest with you, the Rockets at this point, to me, aren't a... I don't think they're the top, a top four team in the West right now. I don't, I don't see them as that. They're probably a playoff team just because of James Harden, uh, because he is a very good regular season win getter. But when it comes to playoffs, I don't see them making it, uh, making it to the finals or anything like that. And I, and comparing them, the the team they have right now to the other ones in the West, I don't see them making it farther than fifth, in my opinion. Alrighty, that wraps our segment of Hot Out of the Oven regarding the Eagles benching Carson Wentz in place for Jalen Hurts and the Rockets 76ers having had, like not having meaningful discussions regarding a possible James Harden trade. Moving on over into our next segment, we got our NFL Week 13 recap, starting with the Cardinals and Rams game. And what a game it was. High-scoring affair, 38-28, the final score, the Rams taking down the Cardinals. Uh, the Murray Magic trademark, of course, as I don't know if, if you know or not, but a few games ago after 
the Cardinals beat the Bills in that last second Hail Mary. He was tra- he trademarked Murray Magic. It did go through, um, or I can't remember if it did go through. And since then, they are 0-3, actually, losing to the Seahawks, losing to the Patriots, and then now losing to the Rams. So that's just interesting as well. And I think the biggest storyline is that the Rams were able to slow down DeAndre Hopkins. Not so much Kyle Murray. Kyle Murray still had a great game. There was a costly last interception, which was big. Um Hopkins had eight receptions, 52 yards, and a touchdown. You say, okay, that's not too bad. You know, you said eight catches, but 52 yards isn't a lot. And a touchdown isn't, like, you know, isn't a lot for regards to, you know, he was he was slowed down. And so, yeah, they still scored, you know, three touchdowns. But what are your overall thoughts on the game? And what does it mean for the Cardinals, who are now six and six, or at one point were six and three, and posing a threat in the NFC West? It, it's it's so interesting, uh, and I mean the curse could just be an ironic just coincidence, or it could be actually happen. Like it doesn't really matter uh, in my opinion. But I mean the Rams did uh, the Rams defense did slow down uh, the uh, combo of DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. I mean uh, Kyler Murray still had a decent game, but what the Rams do well on defense. I mean yes, you do have the likes of Aaron Donald um, on that line. You have the ability just of him attacking that quarterback so many times but Kyler Murray a bit more agile of a quarterback so it'll be harder to really shut him down but um the Rams secondary really stepped up in this game uh they and they shut down Murray's passing obviously with that clutch INT late in the game and the the real big factor in this game was the fact that they they didn't shut down the fact that Hopkins got receptions he still had eight still had a touchdown but the 52 yards is what was key there is the fact that they kept close they kept close on him no matter every time Kyler Murray went to DeAndre Hopkins they were instantly on him and that secondary really took responsibility for that they made sure that Hopkins couldn't get hot they couldn't get him out and running because that's that's one of Hopkins's big strengths yes he can make some pretty incredible catches but when he gets out and running he is a hard player to stop and what the what the Rams did well is they really shut him down, got on him quickly, made sure he couldn't run because as soon as he gets that ball, he is going downfield and you got to be able to stop him before he does that. So that holding him to just 52 yards was, I think, the key for this game. Um, And obviously that INT late in the game, uh, that was huge as well. So I think overall, just the Rams really did step up when they needed it most. Like you said, it was a high-scoring affair. It's not like their defense had an outstanding game, but the secondary really stepped up when they needed it most, which I think is kind of how the Rams style of play is their defense. Their defense is what carries them on that back end when it comes down to the nitty gritty. And I think uh, that's what they did in this game. They stepped up and the Cardinals, obviously uh, they got to figure out different ways to win because it hasn't worked for the past few games. I mean, this was a tough matchup because uh, the Cardinals have such a high powered offense and they were up against a really tough defense. Um, but they got to figure out uh, ways to win games down the stretch because sitting at six and six right now, not looking great going into trying to make the playoffs and trying to push towards who knows what at this point. Yeah, it was a big game for both teams. As well, like looking with the Cardinals, obviously dropping to six isn't the six and six isn't the greatest because the Vikings won, which I believe pushed them to six and six. So that kind of equals them with you know with a couple more losses on the Cardinal side and the Vikings keep winning, they could sneak in as a seven seed team, um, which would be interesting. They would play the, the two seed Packers then, but with the Rams as well, that's a big win because the Seattle lost to the Giants. So yes. with them now in the Rams now having the tiebreaker over Seattle they now leapfrog them and lead the division, which is key because going forward as well, 
if you're looking at the Rams and looking at the Seahawks schedule, the Seahawks technically have the easier schedule, but they lost the Giants. So, and they just, they play, they play the Jets next week. They should win. Hopefully they do. If not, like, honestly, there's going to be some serious issues. Like I see if you lose to the 0 <laughs> 12 Jets, Russell Wilson, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> oh, um, no. regardless of that, um, and then as well, they play each other week 16. So if both teams have equal records. Let's say both teams are 10 and four at that time. You know, they both win out the next two weeks. So in three weeks time, they play. That is going to be a so like, it's going to be a pivotal game for both teams to play and win their win out the games. Now the Bills have, or the, the Rams have a bit of a tougher schedule. Let me just see who the Rams uh play over the next two weeks before they play the Seahawks. Okay, so yeah, actually, you know, they are fairly easy. They play the Jets as well, actually. They play the Patriots and Jets. So both winnable games. Let's let, they're gonna win out that. That is going to be a crucial week 16 game because I'm pretty sure at that point if the Rams or Seahawks were to win, whoever wins that game, I believe would win the division. That again, I'm not really sure because it would have to come down to tiebreakers and overall wins for the rest of the season. Uh, with the Seahawks playing the 49ers last game of the season, I think as well. The Rams play. Who did the Rams play? They play. They play. They play the Cardinals last game of the season. So two. The NFC West always interests me in the way that they set up. Like they always set up divisional games near the end. Like obviously with any division, but I feel with the NFC West is always good and exciting because it always comes down to like you know last game of the season for the division. But it's just it's just very interesting to see, and I think it's going to be big games. It's a big win for the Rams. Like you know, compared to last week. You know, with that with that poor performance against the 49ers, they came back this week and really show what team they can be when Jared Goff is th- throwing the football, not turning over, being consistent. And if he can be consistent over these next three weeks, the, the you know, they're looking at a 12 and four record and possibly a, like a three seed in the NFC West, I, like it, like an, a division of the NFC West. You know, that that's what I yeah, can see them being could. as now if they lose. <clears throat> In the NFC West, yeah. If, if they lose, of course, the Seahawks in Week 16, then I think it's be different. But I, th- I don't, I don't think it's gonna, ha- it's gonna be very hard to do that based on how I feel that the Seahawks have been playing the past few weeks. So, well, what the what the Rams did is they gave themselves that. I think they can lose that game now and still hold the tiebreaker over the Seahawks. I think uh, that that'll just it'll be really close either way. It depends on how the rest of the games play out, obviously, um, and if they can beat the Cardinals again last week of the season. Um, but uh, it's really close up there, and I think it just gives the Rams a better. It, it increases the likelihood that the Rams do win that division at this point. I think on that point, I think if the Seahawks beat them in that game, then I think it says, and low score wins, team A then wins the tiebreaker. If two teams are tied for a position, both teams are awarded. Well, that's interesting. I think, I think if the Seahawks win that game, I think it would come down to points for and points against, the point differential, which I think the Rams might have a better point oh. differential because how bad the Seahawks defense is. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. Even if the even if the Seahawks win that game, then I think the Rams could still lead the division because of point differential. Because they have a they that have also a better, could come down to the rest of the games of the season, too. Right? Yeah, that's like, so, yeah, as well. Like that, that could come down, that could yeah. come down to that game, what the score in that game is and what the score next week is as well. Like so that's gonna be it's really gonna be a huge Week 16, week, week 16 matchup, which I think we're all excited for. But moving on into a different game featuring the former 11-0 Steelers are now 11-1 because the Washington football team shocked the world. And I was pretty happy when they did it because my Seahawks lost to the Giants. I was like, okay, thank God another team, uh, another good team lost Gotta to another. up the Seahawks <laughs> loss. <laughs> Just covered up the Seahawks loss totally. Because if that exactly. game didn't happen, then everyone would just be talking about the Seahawks. I think people are still talking about the Seahawks team, but regardless, this game is even bigger because the 4-7, and seven, now 5-7 and seven Washington football team shocked the world. They beat the Steelers uh, on the road on a Monday night 
evening game at about five o'clock um, on a Monday. What are your thoughts? What's next for the Steelers and what went wrong for the Steelers during this game? Really? Like kind of you're like, I don't know if you saw the game or not, but like kind of what, what's next for the I Steelers? What they can do? I didn't watch it per se, but I did see a lot of highlights. And I think um, I, I did read some, read a lot about this. And I think, um, what's next for them is just to get themselves back on track. They don't have an easier matchup next week in the Bills. Uh, they have that's probably their toughest game uh, the rest of the season. I think that's really going to be uh, a poignant game in the in determining whether they are a Super Bowl contender or not. I think uh, they still are a very good team. I know a lot of a, a lot of people, Twitter wise, discussing oh. Now, and they are clearly just no longer a good team. They had the whole like easy schedule excuse coming through again. Like, don't get me wrong, this Steelers team is still good. Yes, they did have a bit of a scare uh, last week, and then this game they did ha- uh, they did finally lose a game, which to be honest, bound to happen. No team teams that go sixteen and zero rarely ever happen. And I mean, I think everybody going into the season thought the chiefs had the best chance to do that. And they didn't even do that. So now they're even with the chiefs. They both have a loss each. Uh, and I think overall, what's next for them is just get, get back on track. You need to absolutely assert dominance over the bills in that game. If you're the, if you're the Steelers, you have to, you have to show everybody up. You have to prove to, uh, you have to prove to the rest of the NFL that you are still the team to be, you are still the team that survived that long undefeated. And I think that's what you got to do. You have to go out. And I think what went wrong as far as that goes is they just got almost complacent in this game. And I think uh, it is literally the definition of a trap game in a sense, because the Washington football team should have been a gimme for them. Uh, They had a very bad, bad week, even though they scraped out a win against a very injury ridden slash COVID ridden Ravens team. And I mean, you got to give, you got to give them some slack because they were on very short rest for a lot of weeks uh, and it's been such a weird road for them not playing for a while then finally playing and then you have one like really shortly after with the Wednesday game and then the Monday game like it's been a weird week for the Steelers you got to give them a cut them a bit of slack for that but either way I think after everything that's happened they just need to go out pick themselves back up go out and have a strong performance against the Bills you don't even have to beat the Bills necessarily because the bills is going to be a tough matchup but just go out and prove yourself prove prove to the rest of the nfl that you can still compete against tough teams and i think the steelers will still be considered one of the teams to beat uh as far as the rest of the season goes i i uh to be honest with you i do still see them as potential super bowl contenders it's going to be tougher obviously now and it's still going to be uh i i don't see them as good as the chiefs still but I do still think they have a better chance than most at taking home that Super Bowl. I would, I would agree with you that as well. During that game, like I watched some of it, and I think the biggest thing with that as well, it was like the Ravens game. They just had drop passes. There was miscues on both sides. There was that late interception. It was a really a costly interception. Like Again, it was a tip pass, but still, regardless, you know – stuff happens in the league, like in a game and stuff. And it's not always perfect, you know, but I think the biggest thing with that, it's like, yeah, you know, they went 11 and 0, like they were 11 and 0. And a lot of people like saying, you know, they've had an easy schedule and, you know, now you can't make excuses because they lost to a team with no name. But regardless, if you look at the chiefs, they lost to a Raiders team early on. That was like, yeah, the Raiders are better than the Washington football team. But if you look early on in that season, you know, 
they weren't that great of a team. And, you know, they lost 40 to 32. It was a high-scoring game. In this game, it was just like the past few weeks, the Steelers haven't been able to score offensively, which I think is the biggest difference between them and the Chiefs is that the Chiefs can go out and drop, you know, points. They can drop many, like, you know, touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, no matter who they're playing and stuff. And I think it's a test between who you're playing as an opponent and how much points you score. They need to go out. If they want to prove to the football world and to the Twitter world and everyone else that they are a serious contender and that they can, you know, take down the Chiefs, they got to go down. They got to win next week against the Bills, and they have to do it in a dominant fashion. Even if you win by seven points, if you win by a touchdown, but if you dominate that game either by time of possession, rushing yards, passing yards, um, forcing turnovers, showing what your defense can do, playing, playing to your strengths, the Steelers, focus, rely on their defense. And I think what they need to do is they need to do that as well. They need to focus on their defense. They need to rely on their defense because if you look at the past few weeks, the defense has been playing good, but the offense hasn't been playing the greatest. And I think the Steelers offense best operates off the defense. So if the defense, you know, has a few slip ups and stuff and as well, it was, I believe it was a 14, it was a 14 to three game going into halftime. I know it was 14, nothing. I believe it was like 14, nothing. It was the Steelers, I believe have a record of 78, it was 78 one and one when having a 14 point lead uh, going into halftime. So, you know, very odd case that they lose that, but regardless, you know, they were looking that strong, solid first half, but the second half, they just came out sleeping. The Washington football team came together, you know, they put together a nice solid amount of drives. And I think it was really, you know, a little bit on the defense as well, but the offense was really struggling. But I think if you play to your strengths as a team, um, then I think you're able to do well. So I think if they play to the strengths of their defense and they use their defense as their, you know, strength I guess and not their Achilles heel as their anchor then I think they'll be able to win more football games you know I think they'll be able to shut down Josh Allen and I it's gonna be close like when we're doing like when I'm doing my game picks for next week and stuff and I'm looking at that Bills and Steelers game it's gonna be close I could pick the Bills as well like they had a very performance a good performance um oh actually no they just well yeah they, they, they beat the 49ers last night it was like 34 to 24 Josh Allen played really well uh like on Monday night Lemonade night football so it was really good it was like the first time they had a win in like you know amount of it was like 19 i want to say 1970 or 1980 it was like a number of years it was like the one in eight on monday night football so yeah. I, I do still i do still think that they are super bowl contenders though like as much as you want to say you know the chiefs are the better team yeah they're super bowl contenders they have a chance to beat the chiefs you know because the raiders beat the chiefs and i'm pretty sure the steelers are better than the raiders so i think that they'll have a good chance to beat the steelers but the steelers just got to get back on track they got to get their mojo back they got to get their confidence back right now. They're shaking. Their confidence is shaken. Their confidence is stirred from those two bad weeks. You know, football, if they go back, they it's like they're playing a really tough opponent this week, which will maybe motivate them to play better because they know they have to play better. And I think it's, it's totally a definition of a trap game. It's like, you're playing the Washington football team. They're four and seven. You're at home. It's a Monday night afternoon, like evening game. Let's go out there and win the game. But they just didn't do that. They, they, they played like, they're like, okay, this is going to be easy. You know, like it's Alex Smith. It's, you know, whoever else they were missing some players and stuff like that. But regardless, you know, you have to go out there and win football games. And if you want to be a contender, you got to beat the good teams. You got to beat the bad teams. And you can't beat the bad teams. How the heck are you supposed to beat the good teams? But anyways, that's my take on that game. Um, Still really interesting to see, um, you know, with the Steelers losing, you know, not being undefeated anymore to the Washington football team, shocking the world. Already that, uh, that wraps up our NFL week 13 recapping, recapping the Cardinals and Rams game as well as the Washington football team shocking the world and beating the Steelers on the road on Monday night football. 
Moving on over to a third topic of the day, it's the MLB offseason. The Chicago White Sox have got the ball rolling for the MLB offseason. Finally, they have acquired pitcher Lance Lynn from the Rangers for pitcher Dance Dunning and another prospect. Oh, God, I love this alliteration. Lance Lynn and uh, Dance Dace, oh, sorry, Dace Dunning, my bad, not Dance, Dace Dunning. Uh, and another prospect, they also signed outfielder Adam Eaton to a one-year $7 million deal. How scary are the White Sox going into the season and kind of what threat do they pose to the rest of the league? Oh, it's it's they're going to have a really good team uh, going into next year. They've been building up an acumen of just young prospects. Lucas Giolito looks to be uh, one of the up and coming next great pitchers uh, in this league. And I mean, this rotation is going to uh, going to be scary going to next season between Giolito, between Lance Lynn and between the rest of that uh, rest of that pitching staff. And I mean, uh, the White Sox have built up such an uh, just an accumulation of prospects over the years. And it's funny because. Um, Adam Eaton used to be a Chicago White Sox, uh, Sox player before uh, moving on in a trade a few years ago to the Washington Nationals, where he actually won the Super Bowl last year with the Nationals. But when that original trade happened for Adam Eaton, uh, Lucas Giolito, their now all-star pitcher, uh, was a part of that original deal, which is kind of interesting to see now that Adam Eaton is back with the White Sox signing this deal. Uh, a vet in Adam Eaton is going to probably be their starting uh, starting right fielder or something to the, along those lines. A really good leadoff hitter, pretty good power. Uh, it's going to be able to drive in runs, obviously adding to the already solid offense of uh, Jose Abreu, who just won AL MVP and just won the Hank Aaron Award for the AL. Like th- This White Sox team is going to be scary going into next season. And I mean, looking at their pitching staff now, I think the, all they really need to maybe add a little bit of more help to is their bullpen looking at the, uh, looking at their lineup and really their top priority going into this off season was looking at adding a fifth or fourth starter, which they have now in the form of uh, Lance Lynn, who potentially was talked about moving at the deadline last year. We had talked about that at the time uh, that kind of fell apart as the Rangers uh, decided to keep him. He still has a year left on this deal. I think that will be a nice uh, one-year deal for a vet pitcher like him to just go and pitch for a uh, young, uh, inexperienced, still developing White Sox team that could really use uh, the help of a veteran pitcher. And you get a veteran in Adam Eaton who, like I said before, you had uh, originally with uh, Chicago uh, where he really hit his prime uh, and then obviously getting traded for a bunch of prospects who now are really helping the White Sox move forward with a lot uh, uh, in regards to that. So it's, it's, they're going to be a scary team next season. And I do see them being a potential, maybe not necessarily next year, making it to the later rounds of the playoffs, but I can definitely see them in the next th- uh, two or three or four years. If uh, I think this uh, player deal uh, or this deal for Adam Eaton also has a team option for like a second year for a certain amount of money. I, I do think they will take that by the time that comes around, depending on if, I mean, uh, they get another outfielder. I mean, they could potentially just let him walk, but I do see them resigning, uh, resigning him after that and accepting that player option. But uh, overall, yeah, this White Sox team is going to be set for the future. They have a lot of young talent and they have now some good vets. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they're not done this off season. They got, they got money to play with there. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see another uh, short term, short, short term deal for another good outfielder, maybe a good bullpen pitcher, uh, potentially like a Liam Hendricks or something like that. Cause I know he's a free agent, I believe, uh, uh, coming out of, uh, Oakland, I believe, I believe he's a free agent. I'm not hundred percent sure on that, but that could be a guy they look at. And I think overall this White Sox team now with 
a really solid rotation uh, with the addition of Lance Lynn. Uh, one through five, that is going to be a tough matchup, as well as now a really uh, good leadoff hitter and a guy who can give you a bit of speed, not too, too much speed, but a good solid defender, good solid leadoff man to be driven in by now. Uh, the current AL MVP and current AL Hank Aaron Award winner in Jose Abreu. This team is going to be scary in the next few seasons. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. I think adding these uh, new players with Lance, Lance Lynn and Day Stunning, you know, it's going to, it's going to be a huge addition for them. I think it's was well with, with, with many teams that we've seen similar to the Blue Jays and stuff. It's like when you have, when you have a number of young players on your team and you have a number of vets, you have, you have the perfect balance between vets and rooks and young players because you have, you know, the rookies who are young and talented and, uh, not experienced, but they have a lot of potential. And then you have the vets that can give them and show them the ropes to help them win as well. And as well, um, <clears throat> I'm not a big baseball guy, to be honest. I'm not, not sure how scary they're going to be, how good they're going to be. I think they could be a top team uh, in the and in the National League. Tried to, yeah, the National League. Yeah, they, sorry, the AL. I thought they would play in the NL, but um, the AL, um, the American League. And I think that as well, um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be close. I, I think they would possibly get maybe to the – AL, uh, the ALCS on a good on a good note. Could, it could, yeah, it, I, it's, I gonna be, it's gonna be close. Sure. Yeah, they. I think I think if they get it's, to the ALCS and if they, you know, they take whoever they're gonna play, um, you know, it's a seven games. I think that would be a good that would be a good goal for this season coming up, and then as yeah. well, or for like for next season coming up uh, in the spring, and then as well the next season after that, maybe they maybe they'll look at the World Series, build on to that World Series. And I think as well with having these, I think Adam Eaton's gonna add some great depth to their team and stuff like that, uh, which is going to be big for the outfield. Um, But yeah, it's overall, I I, I agree with the signing and is what we don't know what they're left with and like what they're going to do the rest of the off season. Cause it's been a fairly quiet off season. So plenty of time Mm -hmm. for uh, play and games. Well, which is interesting as well is it's like, we were talking about this last week with like these certain deals and stuff. And it's like signing a one year, $7 million deal. That's kind of a deal where it's like, okay, he's going to sign it. Well, you talked about the player option as well, the next uh, the team option. My bad, I think it was. And it's like it's kind of those deals where it's like he can go out, he can prove himself, you know, as a player. And then maybe next season, like as I know, there's this team option, he can go out and get a bigger contract somewhere else and prove it to him, or prove it to the team what he's truly worth yeah. and stuff like that. Because I mean, we talked about it as well. Teams are cashed up right now, so this one year seven million dollar deal might not really truly what he's might might not truly show what he's worth and stuff. I think that, yeah. I think that would be fair. And I think uh, as well, like this is this is just overall, these are important uh, for the MLB offseason because uh, the GM meetings are going on right now. So there is uh, virtually so there is a bit of talk between teams, which kind of helps. And I think that's why we saw this deal get done. And I mean, to be fair to the White Sox, they did give up uh, two prospects for Lance Lynn. Dace Dunning was a decent right handed prospect pitcher, not crazy wasn't I mean he could turn out to be probably a fifth starter on the Rangers or something like that as well I don't know I, the other prospect I hadn't heard of but so they didn't give up too much for Lance Lynn but I think this is just uh, uh, like you said it gets the ball rolling for the offseason this is important to um, get started because these are two more significant deals than we have seen and I think uh, we saw Carlos Santana's deal earlier today with the Royals and it's just it's it's that trickle it's that trickle effect and we'll start to see that more and I think uh, signing a guy uh, in, a, in a World Series champion like Adam Eaton was with the Nats la- uh, two years ago or 2019 I guess it feels like two years ago it's two seasons ago um, it's gonna have a real good effect uh, on this team and I think uh, like you said Teams are cash strapped right now, so a seven million dollar deal to go play for the team where you kind of got your career started is 
a good deal for Adam Eaton. He pro- he probably loves it there in Chicago. He's very happy to go back and play for the White Sox, and I think uh, it's going to be a good deal for both teams. And I see him being a influ- influential veteran for a lot of their young uh, young uh, rookie and potentially sophomore, second year, third year players going forward. Just as a veteran presence who can who's been through it all, man. He has been to the world series world series champ he's been on great teams he's been on terrible teams so i think he's going to be a really good uh player in the clubhouse for the chicago white Sox. Alrighty, that wraps up this segment of the mlb offseason we're talking about the chicago white Sox having gotten the ball rolling for the mlb offseason with acquiring pitcher lance lynn from the rangers for pitcher day stunning and another prospect Alrighty, moving on over to our last segment of today's episode it's hall of fame moments we're going into Today, uh, it's Alfonso Davies and Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, named, were named co-winners for the Lou Marsh Award, which is given to the top Canadian, top Canadian athlete of the year, I believe. So what does this mean for each athlete's legacy? And should they have been co-winners or should there have been one athlete over the other that should have gotten the award, that should have been more worthy of the award, of the two, in your mind? In starting off, I think the whole like debate on if they should have been co-winners or not is, is foolish, in my opinion. I think they should have been co-winners because you look at these two players and, I mean, Alfonso Davies is easily one of the top Canadian athletes in the game, in sports right now, tearing it up over with Bayern Munich. Uh, Bayern Munich. I mean, he, I mean, he's actually returning to action, I think, uh, either tonight or just coming up. Uh, after injury, I believe. Uh, so he's going to be back in action. And I think this is just going to motivate, motivate him even more top honors. He is probably, like I said, he is definitely the top Canadian athlete out there in sports right now, making the most money. I believe, I think he's making more than Jamal Murray as far as that goes, but um, either way, he is just an incredible player, easily one of the top, uh, top Canadian athletes. And uh, uh, Duvernay Tardif, isn't the biggest name. He's not a all-star player as far as playing for the Chiefs go, but everything he's doing off the field, obviously taking this year off because of COVID, he uh, he had done his doctorate studies, I believe, and now he's uh, working with a lot of uh, the top doctors and working, uh, doing a lot of stuff off the field with COVID-19. And I think that that is why they saw, we saw them both as uh, co-winners because it's really two different sides. And I think the, uh, uh, when they did the vote, uh, it was 18-18, and then there was one. I think it went to Jamal Murray. I'm not sure who the uh, who the th- uh, the third place uh, vote was there, but both of them tied. I think they both deserve to to have tied. I mean, they both had different effects. Like I said, Duran Tardif, not the best player in the NFL, but what he's doing off the uh, off the field is incredible, and it's already been recognized by so many different things. I know he was up for uh athlete of the year just overall let alone canadian athlete of the year because of the work he's doing and uh, alfonso davies is the top athlete in in actually playing the game right now as far as canadians go so realistically both of these guys incredible players uh incredible what they're doing uh to represent canada and i think both of them deserved being recognized as co-winners and i think uh as far as legacies go i think alfonso davies is just going to carry this on and uh he's going to rack up so many different accolades over his career because he's so young. He is such, the potential is so, uh, so great for Alfonso Davies. It's going to be amazing to see what he's going to do over his long and lengthy soccer career uh, or football, as they say uh, uh, over with Byron. But uh, as far as uh, Duvernay Tardif, this is, this is almost one of the like more minor recognitions. I mean, it's probably uh, more, it's, it's, 
probably means more to him as Canadian uh, to have been recognized. But he's been up for Athlete of the Year overall. He's been up. Uh, he was. I think he had his. Um, was it the NFL Hall of Fame that they put his? Uh, yeah, they they put like they put a bunch of like medical stuff. They kind of made like his own little personal like. Um, uh, I don't like what it's not like a bus, but like a almost personal area, like with all the like shrine. I guess he had like, sort of like not sort of like, well, yeah. it's it's sort of like a sort of like a celebration of like what the player has done and stuff. So they had like a, they had his yeah. jersey, they had like a bunch of medical stuff because you know he's opting out this year and you know help. I believe he's working in Montreal um, with doctors so. on the front line, you know, for his graduate studies for his doctorate. So, and as well. With Alfonso Davies, you know, obviously being a young player, you know, former with the Whitecaps, Whitecaps did really well. Bayern Munich saw that, and I'm glad they picked him up because he's been very, he's been one of the best defenders in the in the Bundesliga. He's got insane pace, uh, insane athletic ability. He like this past year they won five trophies. They won, I want to say it was the. Actually, I think I have it here. Let's see. They won. Yeah, they won the Champions League, the Bundesliga, the DFB Pokal, UEFA Super Cup, and DFL Super Cup in a single campaign. Like in a, year, a single year, five trophies, which was insane. It's like they, they got past the treble, as they call it, which was the Champions League, Bundesliga, and DFB Pokal. They also won the, like those two other trophies. But as well as like if you look at like accolades for this year <clears throat> and as well with the with the single like award, I guess. Like Alfonso Davis, a lot of people are like, okay, you know, he really should have got it because he was like the top, top athlete because you know, he won all these awards and or like he he had some great success as an athlete. But if you look at the work that Lauren Duvern Tardif is doing for his community outside as well, like being a great Canadian, being an uh, athlete is so much more than just in in 2020 and today. I think it's so much more than being great on the field. It's what you do yeah. off the field, what you do off the court, what you do off the pitch. You know, it's those things that 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 don't really directly. You know, he and as well, he's a great offensive lineman for the Chiefs. Like, rarely do you see Patrick Mahomes getting sacked. Obviously, you know, like at least yeah. when he was playing last season. Like, I'm pretty sure he was also a great offensive lineman. Like, yeah, he's not a quarterback or receiver or you know. Um, but yeah. I think they, they both play key roles in their teams. And I think with Duvernay Tardif, you know, helping with the COVID-19 pandemic, I think, yeah, they should have been co-winners. You know, if, if you want, yeah. if it was like, if it was like top winningest athlete, then I think, you know, if he, if it was based on winning percentages or winning titles or winning trophies, then yeah, Alfonso Davis, but it was the top Canadian athlete and they're able to, they're give, they're entitled to give to the, give the award to who they feel is the top Canadian athlete. And this year it was Alfonso Davies and Lauren Duvin Cardiff as well. I want to throw out a name as their Chase Claypool as well. Chase Claypool with the Pittsburgh Steel. He's been balling. You know, he's been doing well. Um, I know I it's think, a little bit like I think it, there's potential for him next year, for sure. I would say I for like, but I'd say for so next year. Yeah, it, it was so late in the yeah. season for like, it, it's it's just where they were and stuff. It was tough. Like, you know, if um, if the award was handed out, like, you know, early next year at the end of the Steelers campaign, you know, where they end up and stuff, then possibly like, let's say, for example, the Steelers go win the Super Bowl this year or like something crazy like yeah, that. Like yeah. they go in the Super Bowl, you know, they beat whoever it is. Um, and then know, have he, a good he, season next year. And he, and he has a good season next year. Then I think he could be considered as well. There's a number of other great Canadians in the NFL right now. So that like, he's a possibility for next year. Uh, but it's just, it's great to see so many great Canadian sport athletes, you know, perform at such a high level because it feels, it gives, it gives us pride, you know, because for the longest time, all these players were American athletes like basketball or hockey or like, well, maybe not hockey, but basketball and football, you know, there's all these American athletes that were, that were dominating the sport or for baseball, there's a lot of Dominican Republic and for soccer as well. It's a lot of Europeans. We don't see a lot of Canadian players go out and go shine in Europe and have success there and stuff. So I think it's good to see that it's important to see the, uh, the recognition that Canadians are given and stuff for top Canadian 
uh, sport athlete of the year, which is just huge. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be huge for their legacy. You know, like it's going to be for Davis. He's a young, you know, emerging talent for the, for Bayern Munich. And I think he's going to continue to flourish as a player uh, and as a person, as well as a young Canadian. I think he's going to do well. Lauren Duvernay uh, Tardif, hopefully, I think maybe, I think probably would say next season, he's going to return to play. He'll come back to helping the Chiefs, you know, defend their Super Bowl title possibly, because, you know, they, they could be possibly Super Bowl winners again this year, uh, potentially as well. They're looking really strong. So I think it's going to be big for that. I think it's their both big legacy. Yeah, for him, I think it's a little bit minor. Um, with the whole Hall of Fame thing being in, but I think it's as well. It's it's, it's regardless, an award is award, and you should be happy that you get it because you know not everyone gets awards. And name being considered given the top Canadian athlete of the year award is a huge recognition for him as a Canadian, and in seeing the work that he's doing is paying off. And it's not going unnoticed. Already, that wraps up this segment of Hall of Fame moments, talking about Alfonso Davis and uh, Alfonso Davies and Laura Duvernay Tardif being named the co-winners for the Lou Marsh Award, which is the given to the top Canadian athlete of the year. That wraps up this episode of season two of the On the Rise podcast. You should follow our Instagram at Rise Podcast, listen in on MidtownRadio.ca, and visit our website on the Rise Podcast.ca. We will see you on Saturday.